This edition of the Northern Miner Podcast is sponsored by Mine Expo International, the world's largest mining trade show. See thousands of new products and services at the Las Vegas Convention Center from September 28th to 30th. Registration is now open, so visit MineExpo.com to register. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Welcome to episode number 174 of the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am your online editor and host. And it is earnings season. And uh, I thought we would do something a little different today. I thought we could come in and sample a couple of conference calls. And those two conference calls were Barrick and Freeport McMorrin. And I guess the reason I decided on those was a couple of reasons. I thought they were symbolic companies, in a sense. They're representative companies. I mean, interestingly, Barrick is a gold and copper company, and Freeport is more of a copper gold company. And there has been talk, rumors going around that Barrick's Mark Bristow somehow want to acquire Freeport's Grassberg project in Papua New Guinea, and that is one of the biggest mining projects in the world. It's Freeport's main mine. And there was talk of an acquisition, just rumors, and Bristow batted the rumors down, but then kind of suggested that he's also open to the idea. I'm going to go, there's a little Reuters report on it, I'm just going to sort of touch on. And so, yeah, so I thought here we are in earnings season. Let's take a look at what's going on. I thought it would be representative in a sense of the mining industry if we just had to pick two companies. Let's just pick these two, you know, and see what we find. And it's actually pretty interesting. I mean, ESG is at the beginning of both in in a way that I think uh, you can hear the new tone. And there really is a sense of, from the CEO point of view and from the company point of view, these are their earnings calls, so it's pretty important that uh, they need to highlight and emphasize the ESG, environmental, social, and governance uh, side of the company and to say, we are not terrible mining companies. We are for the public good and we are not just about our profits and uh, we want to make profits, but that uh, there is a larger world out there and a larger social good that we are aware of and want to contribute to. So it's fascinating. So they go into that in the conference call. They also go into their projects a little bit. I touch on that a little bit. I mean, one of the things I observed was the enormous scales that these two companies are dealing with. That's also something that makes these companies interesting. They're huge. Okay. When you hear the numbers on Grassberg, when you look at, I think Barrick said they have 171 million ounces on the book. They have an enormous amount. Now that's all in the ground and that all has to be taken out. But when you listen to the scales, it's pretty amazing. So again, ESG is at the top. Barrett calls it a strategic imperative. And you hear Mark Bristow, CEO of Barrick, he talks about how he wants to make the company into the world's most valuable gold company. So here we are. So I thought we could compare and contrast. We'll get a little bit on Grassberg, uh, Freeport's thing. Sounds like this is all just kind of, you know, this is the way it's done in the media today. You float the idea in the media and then you see if people actually like the idea and if they don't you say oh well that was just a rumor and if people do like it then you act on it i mean you see this with bloomberg and hillary and bloomberg floats so oh is that a good idea let's float out the idea in the media i mean this is done you know again the u.s president uh, does it regularly it's become the kind of new modus operandi the new mo and I think Mark Bristow, as a sophisticated CEO, is really probably engaged in a similar thing. Like, let's float this idea of something crazy like Barrick taking over Grassberg. So here we are. So this is what's on the plate for today. I think it's going to be interesting, educational, and different. And also, what do we have? We have PDAC coming up on March 
1st, so a little bit earlier this year, we have the Financing the Mineral Industry Investment Banker Perspectives. This is moderated by the Northern Miner Group publisher, Anthony Vaccaro. That's in room 713 on Monday, March 2nd, so the Monday of PDAC, and that's 11 to 12.15, and you can find that on the PDAC website. And also, there is the YMP dinner. Let's see if they still have tickets available. And it appears they do. Tickets are still on sale for the 2020 YMP Awards. They kick off the PDAC at the Shangri-La, Toronto on February 29th. And if you go to the Northern Miner website, you'll see our headline is the winners of the Young Mining Professionals, which are Young, Young Mining Professional of the Year awards go to Ashley Kerwin and David Catterford. And we're going to take a quick look at that. And yeah, so they won the 2020 YMP Awards. So this will be the award dinner and the small ceremony at Shangri-La. My former boss, John, loved this night. And it's a, it's a cool thing. I mean, support the young people. It's just a cool night. And it's a nice way to start PDAC. Again, very smart organization. You can see it just in the timing. Hey, let's do it the day before PDAC. Let's do it the Saturday. What's going on on the Saturday? People are in town. So it's just a really, really bright organization. You see these kinds of small decisions, smart decisions being made all around when you see these guys. They're a nice logo. You see everything. It is a smart organization. So that is coming up. And so if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner. And you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn and YouTube where we now also host these podcasts. And you can also find us wherever podcasts are available and onto the news. And turning to the website, Young Mining Professionals of the Year Awards go to Ashley Kerwin and David Catterford. And these awards, the YMP Awards, are presented in association with the Northern Miner, which recognizes two mining professionals under the age of 40 who have demonstrated exceptional leadership skills and innovative thinking and provide value to their companies and shareholders. And finally, the awards are named after Ira Thomas and the late Peter Monk. Ashley Kerwin won the Ira Thomas Award for 2020 and David Catterford the Peter Monk Award. And the awards will be presented at the YMP Awards Gala on February 29th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto. Finally, each of the winners were nominated in a public submissions process they were then discussed by a select panel of YMP chapters, including Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and London, along with an equal vote from the Northern Miner. So just turning to Ashley Kerwin here, she is the co-founder and CEO of Oryx Geoscience, a leading geological firm that partners with junior, mid-tier, and major mining clients to provide geological expertise and business strategy. She was raised in Sudbury, Ontario, earned a Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees in geology at Laurentian University. And she started her first year of university with plans to major in geography. But after taking first year geology, she fell in love with the science. Quote, my first year professor was very passionate about geology, giving insights into what a career would look like. And being from Sudbury and surrounded by mining and exploration companies, I began to realize all the opportunities that came with it, she says in an interview. So you can read about her story on thenorthernminer.com. It is our headline. I am going to just scan to the bottom. It's She worked for a few places. And so her company that she started with a colleague, Shastri Ramnath, they created Oryx Geoscience. And this was in 2012. Quote, a lot of people told us not to do it, she recalls. It was 2012, not the greatest time in the market, and very few companies could raise funds. It was probably one of the worst times to start a business, but we looked at this challenge as an opportunity, and we wanted to work together, and we trusted each other. The two business partners found an interesting niche, offering high-quality geological interpretation for companies so they could strategically explore they started off working mainly for juniors, most of whom had no geological team, very little cash, and were trying to raise money but required a proper geological story to give investors confidence. Kerwin and Ramnath did a lot of early work in exchange for shares. We recognized that a lot of projects were undervalued, so we worked very hard helping companies understand their geology so they could raise money. And once they raised money, there was a natural fit for us again to provide ongoing geological services for their exploration programs. As their business and reputation grew, 
They continued working for juniors and expanded their reach working with mid-tiers and majors. Finally, today Oryx is a one-stop shop that provides full exploration services from drone surveys and historical document map scanning through digitizing, database compilation, 3D modeling, and field work. For mid-tier and major companies, Oryx is hired for special projects, often to manage large data sets or solve a geological question a team may face such as creating a drill hole database from historical logs or modeling the geological controls on mineralization in one particular area. And I'm going to wrap up with a quote from Ashley. One of the things that I really like about geology is that it's an artistic science. Geology leaves room for interpretation. Anyone's idea can be considered because we're dealing with things that are a million years old. I like the artistic nature and the problem-solving side, and it might be a cliche, but it's also the people. Geologists are a different kind of scientist. I work with an amazing team that are hardworking, but have a lot of fun along the way, and that brings energy. We have a bigger vision of making an impact on the mining industry. If it wasn't for the people, I probably wouldn't love it as much as I do. So congratulations to Ashley Kerwin. And turning to our second winner, David Catterford, has been working in the iron ore industry for the last 15 years, he is the CEO of Champion Iron, an iron ore producer whose flagship asset is the Bloom Lake Mine, which is in Quebec. Catterford studied mining engineering at Laval University in Quebec, one of only two students in the class. Quote, it was not a popular program at the time, Catterford jokes in an interview. Funny enough, the entire mining engineering cohort that graduated in 2008 consisted of two guys, both named David. So Catterford grew up in Montreal, Tells a story about rejecting a job offer from Agnico Eagles Goldex Mine in favor of working for a high-end tea business in Quebec City that his friend had just opened. Catterford worked there for a year for $12 an hour and immersed himself in the business. He became passionate about tea and learned everything about it, especially Chinese tea. And then later in the article, when he was working for Consolidated Thompson as a metallurgist in charge of the concentration plant at its Bloom Lake iron ore mine. He was able to put his knowledge of tea to work. Consolidated Thompson's 25% partner at the mine was Chinese steelmaker Wuhan Steel. When their marketing team came to the site for the first time, I served them tea, he says. Typically when partners visit, they meet with the general manager or head office. They would rarely meet with metallurgist on the site, but because of my background in tea, I got to know them. When Cliffs Natural Resources, now Cleveland Cliffs, acquired the Bloom Lake mine from Consolidated Thompson in 2011, Wuhan Steel remained a partner and Catterford developed his contacts with his Chinese counterparts while working as Cliffs Mine Superintendent and Plant Manager. He left Cliffs in 2014 to join Michael O'Keefe at Champion Iron to start developing a new iron ore project in Labrador, but a few months later learned that Cliffs had closed down the Bloom Lake mine and put it into bankruptcy proceedings. Catterford and O'Keefe Keefe tried to acquire the asset, which they succeeded in doing in 2016. And yeah, apparently they worked with the Quebec government uh, to acquire Bloom Lake, and then they eventually bought out the Quebec government. And there's another quote here from Catterford, the Quebec government believed in the project when capital was scarce prior to the recommissioning, and we were proud to be able to deliver them excellent returns for their investment, it says David Catterford, who was promoted from vice president of engineering to chief operating officer in two and a half years and to CEO after four years at the company. Champion restarted Bloom Lake in February 2018. We delivered the project on time and on budget, which is a considerable achievement in the mining space, and we reached nameplate capacity after just six months of operations. So it sounds like they're doing very well. And just a final thing from Catterford. One thing Catterford is particularly proud of is reducing Bloom Lake's carbon footprint. When we restarted operations at Bloom Lake, we not only improved the throughput, but we also reduced carbon dioxide emissions by 40% in our first year of production compared to the previous owner's last year of operations in 2014. So there are your award winners. Congratulations to David Catterford as well. And yeah, the Young Mining Professionals Awards our leap year, February 29th, at the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto. If you go to their Twitter feed, YMP Toronto, you'll find a link to a ticket. Yeah, check it out. So, on to our next story. And continuing on, I want to turn to this Jeffrey Christian article, one of my favorites, as you may well know at this point. Uh, metal markets to have unexpected twists in 2020. 
This is from Jeffrey Christian, managing partner at CPM Group. I always enjoy his commentary because of its what I consider sober analysis, but uh, he's got some pretty... I don't want to say wild, but he's saying there's going to be drama in the metals markets. I'm going to just start reading here. The metals markets promise to be full of fascinating developments and unexpected twists in 2020. Mining equities will not be excluded from the drama. This partly reflects the reality that global economic, political, and financial trends, which are exogenous bases for much of what happens in metals and mining, are also likely to surprise and fascinate observers and participants from the ongoing melodrama in Washington to the Brexit dark comedy, the plottings of Vladimir Putin and other autocrats around the world, and the political consequences of the Chinese government's handling of the coronavirus epidemic. Recession is likely to be avoided again in 2020, disappointing those negativists, including gold bugs, who have looked for a recession in 2018, 2019, and indeed in every year since 2010, without having their dark wishes for economic chaos fulfilled. <laughs> yes, he is the ire of the gold bug, Mr. Christian. For metals and mining, some of what we should expect include the following. Gold and silver prices will continue to rise, spurred by investor concerns about the broader economic trends. Copper prices are likely to trend sideways, confounding bulls and bears alike by responding to copper market realities as opposed to their fantasies and wishes. Platinum group metals are moving towards a reversal of fortunes, which may become increasingly apparent as 2020 progresses. Battery metals and energy metals will be buffeted by the realities of current supply and demand, irrational exuberance based on unrealistic expectations of a rapid market share grab by electric vehicles will keep prices up even in the face of much more modest transitions to new energy vehicles, NEVs, primarily at this point, electric vehicles. The mining equities market will continue to suffer from major institutional investor disinterest and retail investor disenchantment. Mining executives will continue to ignore managing their company for profits and instead focus on building increasingly unprofitable empires built on debt. And final point here, molybdenum and other specialty metals that have been ignored in the circus hoopla surrounding battery metals may garner some attention as investors realize these metals actually are critical for construction, transportation, energy infrastructure, and other essential aspects of human life. Okay, so Christian goes into depth on each of these points. It's an awesome read. Yeah, I'm just going to hit the PGM one. They're all, every point there he goes into detail on. Let's just look at the PGMs, though, with uh, Palladium, you know, skyrocketing. CPM's just completed annual update of its Platinum Group Metals 10-year projections report suggests a reversal of fortunes between Platinum on the one hand and Palladium and Rhodium on the other. Platinum has been mired at relatively low prices since 2015, while palladium and rhodium have risen to record levels. Fabrication and investment demand are behind this diversion. They will be behind what could be a reversal here. Palladium prices may plateau around record levels over the next few years and are at risk should investors who hold large metal inventories decide to sell. Someday. Platinum prices may remain weak initially, but ultimately are projected to rise sharply, probably making new nominal record highs over the coming decade. Rhodium is likely to remain high for quite different fundamental reasons. Any weakness due to a move to EVs is many years away. So that's only the PGM section. So polemicist Jeffrey Christian on the scene, on the Northern Miner homepage, commentary, metals markets to have unexpected twists in 2020. Go check that one out. It's a good one, and it does not disappoint. Jeffrey Christian at his finest. And I want to touch on this Predium story, as Predium, you know, like it's always been kind of this controversial company, I would say, in the last eight years or so. They had issues with their initial resource estimate, and we talked about that in an earlier episode. If you want to see Predium's controversial history, 
Just go to northernminer.com and put in perennium into the search and you'll see all sorts of tales and editorials and articles and everything. And that'll get you up to date. There's this article by Northern Miner staff, Predium Meets Guidance, Lowers Production Outlook. Before I go into this, there's always a, the controversy is really over how big the deposit is because there's, I think the general idea is it's hard to measure Predium's deposit because a lot of the gold sort of bunches up and it's not a smooth deposit. That's my understanding of it. And so it's just a tough thing to measure. So now uh, we have this article that they are lowering their production outlook. Predium Resources expects to produce between 325,000 ounces and 365,000 ounces of gold per year in the Valley of the King's Zone, in contrast with the 525,000 ounce long-term output rate suggested in a technical report released in 2019. Last year's gold production of 354,405 ounces from the Bruce Jack Mine in BC at all-in sustaining costs of $888 per ounce is in line with earlier forecasts. Predium indicates that the change in production outlook is due to the lower estimated gold grades, according to the press release. It expects to provide an updated life of mine plan by the end of March, which will include a resource and reserve update for Bruce Jack. The company's board is searching for a new president and CEO. Joseph Ovsenek will remain at the helm in the meantime. Quote, Bruce Jack continues to be consistently profitable and a strong cash generator, Ovsenek says in the release. Last year, the mine generated $184 million in free cash flow allowing the company to reduce its total debt by $180 million. This year, with 325,000 to 365,000 ounces of gold forecast, AISCs, all in sustaining costs, are expected at between $910 and $1,060 per ounce, which includes costs related to ongoing lateral development and one-time sustaining capital items. The 2019 technical report completed by TetraTech Suggest an increased production rate of 3,800 tons per day for Bruce Jack. Predium expects to mine at this rate in 2020 after achieving 3,800 tons per day mill throughputs in the fourth quarter. Gold grades for the year are expected in the range of 7.6 grams gold per ton to 8.5 grams gold, below the Valley of the Kings reserve grade of 13.8 grams gold. Last year's head grades were at 8.7 grams gold. The NI43101 compliant resource suggests average annual gold production of 525,000 ounces over the first 10 years of mine life at all-in sustaining costs of $535 per ounce. The associated reserve statement for Bruce Jack is at 16 million tons at 12.6 gram golds for a total of 6.4 million ounces, primarily comprised of the 5.8 million ounce Valley of the King zone. So it sounds like they need to revise, doesn't it? Uh, at press time in Toronto, Predium was trading at $10.69 per share, down 16% over the prior day's close. The company has 185 million shares for $1.98 billion market capitalization. So this came out February 12th. Okay, so yeah, drama continues at Predium. Look at the history on this one. This is part of a larger narrative and yeah, there's a lot of skepticism early on about Predium's deposit. And then it seemed like they were winning that argument. But now I think it calls Predium's original numbers now into question. And this thing was only done last year. I mean, is this why the CEO is leaving? You, you see a picture emerging here. Uh, who knows? Uh, so I just wanted to touch on that. And finally... Let's go to Barrick because we're going to be talking about Barrick in our feature content here. Barrick beats forecasts, hikes dividend. And this is by Cecilia Jimazmi, who is from mining.com. Barrick Gold posted a better than expected quarterly profit and rewarded investors with a 40% dividend increase thanks to strong gold prices. That 40% increase is on a pretty small beginning, though. The world's second largest gold producer reported adjusted net earnings in the three months to December of $300 million, or 17 cents a share, up from $264 million and 15 cents recorded in the third quarter. Analyst average estimate for the fourth quarter was 14 cents. So you really beat expectations there. 
The results, along with Barrick having its debt to U.S. $2.2 billion over the course of 2019, allowed the miner to declare a dividend of seven cents a share, up from five cents in the third quarter. So you see that 40% is really a two cent per share difference. Always got to be careful of percentages on very small amounts. The board believes the dividend increase is justified by the significant reduction in net debt. And we're going to talk about this coming up and strong balance sheet. This is sort of setting the table for us a little bit. Together with the growth in free cash flow supported by a robust five-year plan, which we have shared with the market, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer Graham Shuttleworth said in a statement, Barrick has also benefited from a billion dollars of asset sales since Chief Executive Mark Bristow took the helm in January 2019. In other news, which we're going to talk about, CEO Mark Bristow denied rumors last week that the company is mulling a merger with Freeport McMoran, but he did say the miners' Grassberg copper and gold operation in Indonesia was an attractive asset. So that's the latest on Barrick. You can read more in detail on the northernminer.com, and that takes care of our news stories. So on to metal prices. We'd like to thank our friends at Infomine.com for providing us with these prices. And if you ever want to find them for yourself, simply type Infomine and metal prices into Google and it will be your first result. And on February 18th, gold is at $1,588.45 per ounce. And this is $19 higher than last week's quote. Silver is at $17.88 per ounce, and that is $0.16 higher, last week's quote. Platinum is at $982.18, and that is $13 higher than last week. Palladium is at $2,538.83. That is $203 higher than last week. So palladium is back at it, and so... No signs of slowing down. Took a pause. Now it's back up. Let's see what happens. And our industrial metals on February 14th, copper is at $2.60, which is $0.04 higher than last week. Aluminum is unchanged at $0.77 per pound. Lead is $0.02 higher at $0.85 per pound. Nickel is at $5.91 per pound, which is 12 cents higher than last week. Tin is at $7.50, 10 cents higher than last week. Cobalt is at $15.20, which is 34 cents lower than last week. And finally, zinc continues the trajectory downward. It's at 97 cents per pound, a penny lower than last week. And those are your metal prices. Coming up, we have a few samples from... Barrick and Freeport McMoran's conference calls, as they say in their, at the beginning of their presentations, these are forward-looking statements. And I'm just putting this out here for educational purposes and just to better understand the Barrick-Freeport relationship and just to see from a bigger picture what these two companies are up to. And it's earnings season. I thought, let's take a different angle on the mining world, as you see from our show, we take a lot of different angles. Sometimes we, it's the personal stories. Sometimes it's the company story. Sometimes it's the big picture, metals markets. And so now let's look at these earnings calls as we tour through mining culture. So we have Mark Bristow from Barrick Gold. We have him, uh, we took three samples uh, and fr- from the conference call. And we also have... Richard C. Adkerson, who is the CEO of Freeport McMoran, following the Barrick samples. And then there are about 10 minutes each of some of the more, what I thought were some of the more interesting aspects of the call, some relating to themes that are in the show. So yeah, so we're going to tackle that. Uh, Before we get into it, though, I just wanted to open up this Reuters article, which started this whole sort of exploration for me. Barrick CEO Bristow Eyes Freeport's flagship Grassberg mine. I'm just going to read uh, three paragraphs here. 
Barrick Gold Corp. does not want to buy copper mining giant Freeport McMoran, although it is interested in its rival flagship Grassberg mine in Indonesia, Chief Executive Mark Bristow said on Thursday. And then continuing down, rumors that Barrick, the world's second largest gold miner, planned to bid for Freeport, quote, are completely wrong, Bristow told Reuters on the sidelines of the mining in Daba conference in Cape Town. People jumped to conclusions, he said. The rumors, though were flamed in recent weeks by Bristow himself in meetings with analysts and investors that leaked out to various media. People say, are you interested in Grassberg? I say, I have to be. It's a tier one asset, Bristow said. Tier one assets refer to high-grade, long-life mines. Buying Grassberg, the world's largest gold mine and second largest copper mine, would fit nicely into Barrick's strategy of expanding in the Pacific Rim and capitalizing on rising copper demand, from the electric vehicle industry. Bristow said he believes copper will be, quote, the most strategic metal on this planet in a decade. Freeport did not respond to a request for comment. So that is the landscape out there. That was a Reuters article that came out on February 6th. Okay, so then we've had these two conference calls. This specific issue does not come up. Let's hear from these CEOs and what they're saying about their companies, what they're saying about gold and copper. So I'm trying to bring their direct words. You know, the media can be an echo chamber sometimes. So let's hear from these guys just about what their business is up to. And it's actually quite enlightening, these conference calls. In a sense, they don't get enough attention, do they? So here they are. Hope you enjoy it. And periodically, I'll just let you know if there's a break in the conference call just for clarity and uh, otherwise I'll see you on the other side. And it's a pleasure for me to share uh, our look back over the last 13 months with you today. Um, as you know, this is the full set of uh, results uh, that Barrick is publishing since its transformational merger with Rand Gold Resources. And it's gratifying to report not only that we have delivered a strong performance, but also that we have made significant progress towards our goal of becoming the world's most valued gold company. Achieving this obviously requires technical excellence, but even more than that, it demands a long-term strategy, one which recognizes that we operate in a changing world where business is expected to meet new standards of behavior and where ethical issues have become commercial considerations with serious consequences. One of these is ESG, which rates how well a company manages its environment, sustainability, and governance. And right now, I think there's a little bit too much focus on the E part of the ESG. Uh, the S is as important, and so is the G. Um, that is, in other words, something that's been very dear to my heart and was the basis of the Rand Gold Resources strategy, and that is social license or license to operate, and it definitely uh, calls on that full ESG uh, uh, vision. To Barrick, securing and maintaining its operations social license is a strategic imperative, a core part of our business, and just not another box to tick. With major investors now placing ESG at the heart of their decision-making, the rest of the industry will have to follow our lead. Moving on, caring for the well-being of our employees is a key component of our ESG program. Our health and safety record improved last year, but it is still some distance short of where I would like it to be. At the time of the merger, all the Rand Gold mines held the ISO 45001 health and safety certification, but all of Barrick operations did not. We are addressing this, and by the end of 2021, we are planning for all our sites to be certified. 
Another challenge has been getting all the Nevada gold mine sites up to their required safety standards following the establishment of the JV last year. We also still have some work to do to align the legacy Newmont operations with our safety program. And it's worth noting that in our organization, AME, Africa and Middle East, is a standout on safety statistics compared to the rest of the organization. So we have quite a lot to do to get us up to where we I believe. And, and we've launched a, a focused program of zero harm, and we mean it. So just to give you an idea, in Barrick, you break the safety rules, you don't have a job. That's how important we take uh, safety. At first, for a long time, there were no major environmental incidents in 2019. All but four of our mines have the ISO 14001 environmental management certification. And by the end of this year, there will be no exceptions. Three of those are actually the Tanzanian assets, which we've just acquired. All the operations, apart from the recently consolidated Tanzanian mines, um, have com community development uh, programs, and you would have seen, you know, there's a very real requirement to engage with the community in Tanzania, and we are working on that. It's again a, a key building block of our license to operate, is to have that uh, open and uh, formal structure to be able to talk to one of our key stakeholders, which are our uh, host communities. And, uh, and we expect that we will have, again, our entire portfolio uh, working under community development committees. In addition, biodiversity action plans are being rolled out to those sites in the group that do not already have them. And there are also some legacy issues, although Mark and his team have gone a very long way to address that uh, sitting in our uh, South American assets. And, and, and again, we've made a lot of progress in transferring many of those risks and liabilities to opportunities, but still some way to go. So there you have it, Barrick's opening uh, to their conference call, ESG, front and center. And you're going to see the same thing on the Freeport one. Uh, next, we're going to skip ahead in the Barrick call where he talks about the dividend. These are the highlights of the year. And as you can see, we delivered on all our promises and then some. I would also just point out that our results are currently unaudited, although we expect to file our financial statements in the next couple of days. We met or exceeded our gold and copper production goals and controlled costs. We also halved the net debt, and that's a key component of this performance we set out to really address a number of things, focus on tier one assets, deal with the debt, which is something that really crippled uh, Barrick, and then deliver a runway where you as uh, analysts and, of course, our shareholders can be able to invest in our company with comfort that we've got a long-term plan. And so we, uh, you know, having that net debt down, we've got to deal with the long-term debt, but that's an expensive exercise. We're going to have to take some time uh, and, uh, and look for opportunities to reduce that. So right now what I'm focusing on is the net debt and the liquidity available for us to, to, to run our business. And certainly I can honestly say today we are independent of the capital markets. As Barrick, we are able to run our own businesses uh, with our own resources. Adjusted net earnings per share was up 46% compared to 2018, and we ended the year with another quarterly dividend increase, the third increase of the year. And again, really, you must look at it as this is what we said we would do. There was a lot of squealing, and people wanted more dividends from Rand Gold. We said we did pay a big dividend in Rand Gold, remember? Uh, but we, I refused to pay a dividend that wasn't supported by the P&L, the earnings. I'm not going to pay dividends that we haven't earned yet. And likewise, Barrick gave a, a commitment and, and upped its dividend right at the deal. And then we, we adjusted the dividend again in quarter three on the back of good performance and a higher gold price. We're comfortable about where our dividend is today. Um, and, and the key part of a dividend, as you know me, we don't want to go backwards. 
we're only going forward. So we feel we're well positioned with our current dividend for the foreseeable future. Yes, and the dividend, I think we could say, is becoming more and more important as the main stock market runs away uh, and low interest rates. So, and you saw it with Newmont, they're raising their dividend. You can tell there's a real uh, concerted effort. And here you see it with Barrick, although it's smaller, uh, you can see that they're really trying to emphasize it as a priority. Now, uh, Bristow is going to talk about gold and Barrick's reserves. So, it's generally expected, and I've certainly been viewing this for a while, that the global production for the gold industry will peak this year or next. And then it's downhill all the way. We're forecasting, if you assume all the announced projects come to fruition, we'll still be 30% short by 2029. So against that backdrop, it's particularly important and rewarding to be able to present a trend going the other way, where we have been able to end the year with higher reserves at higher grade than what we started the year with. Most importantly, we have replaced depletion on all our key assets, except for PV and Cortez. And it's worthwhile just understanding those need feasibility studies, but we've got them measured and indicated resources already in line. So a new feasibility just unlocks that. Barrick has 71 million ounces at 1.68 grams of reserves that are viable at $1,200 long-term gold price. No adjustments, current input costs. It has 171 million ounces of resources at 1.55, which is viable and deliverable at $1,500 gold. It's got, they've got mine plans attached to them. They're not just some soon-to-be-discovered thought. And, uh, and the same with copper, as I show here. Uh, we've, uh, we've increased our reserves by 2.2 billion pounds of copper. And w w just to point out, we don't muddle the two, we separate. They are individual reserves and resources. We don't do the gold equivalent bit. Yes, we don't do the gold equivalent bit. Uh, you can see Mark Bristow's CEO style. I agree with that mentality as well. The gold equivalent can be a little... It just muddles everything. It gets everything foggy. Uh, here, it is, I think it's just much clarity is everything in a lot of ways. But anyways, now we're going to turn to Freeport. And again, you're going to see this huge emphasis at the beginning of the call on ESG and safety. Thank you, Kathleen. And uh, good morning. And thank each of you for participating in today's call. Uh, we at Freeport had an excellent fourth quarter doing what we set out to do. Um, during these period of time, execution is our battle call, and that's exactly what we did. We executed. We have strong momentum on three important initiatives to expand margins and cash flows and increase values for shareholders. Looking back on the year 2019, we set a strong foundation for the long term and positioned our company for profitable growth for years to come. Uh, we start with the first and most impactful initiative, and that is our underground ramp-up at Grassburg, which I'm pleased to report is accelerating as planned. During the fourth quarter, we completed surface mining at the Grassburg open pit. Now we are entirely focused on establishing large-scale production from our massive, low-cost, and long-lived underground ore bodies and that's going to be a source for significant cash flows for 20-plus years to come. Uh, we benefit from the substantial development and infrastructure that is already being completed. Uh, the strength of our team, which possesses uh, necessary technical competences, experiences, and motivational to successfully execute our plan, and that's what they're doing. Uh, the positive production re results in 2019 is uh, enhancing our previously existing confidence uh, for our ramp-up schedule. And uh, we've talked before, we're in a show-me stage for ourselves and for our investors, and that's what we've done. We're showing people that we're doing what we set out to do. The designs of the Grassberg Block Cave and the Deep MLZ mines are world-class, 
we are, are using the, our mining experience that we've had over our 40-year history of uh, underground mining uh, to enhance infrastructure construction. We're using new technology, autonomous loaders and remote control equipment. Uh, we've uh, made advances in ground support support techniques, under, undercut blasting and cave management, and we're going to continue to take advantage of these improved technologies as we go forward. Technology advances um, in, in underground mining are, are, are more impactful and more achievable than open pit mining simply because of the nature of the, of, of the processes. We were successful in meeting or exceeding important milestones during the year, and I'll review that in more detail in a moment. Second initiative is the commissioning of a new mine in Arizona, Lone Star. Uh, we will be commencing production this, in, in, in this year, in 2020. The uh, project is on track, about 75% complete, within budget. We have uh, great uh, experiences and track record in working in Arizona. Uh, notably, we have the support of the communities uh, near this mine, and that's important when you look at the issues people face uh, uh, in Arizona and around the world in developing new mines. Uh, the economics of this investment is really attractive. It will provide a source of long-term cash flow with low-risk growth opportunities. Exploration of this ore body continues to be positive, both with respect to an expanding oxide resource and as we look into the future with a very large sulfide resource which has the potential of making this uh, a, a keystone mine, a tier one asset in the global mining industry. The third value driver relates to our innovation program, really focusing on enhancing productivity, expanding markets without spending a lot of capital. During 2019, we took our experience that we had working with our Baghdad mine and initiated a series of projects throughout our American portfolio of mines using new technology, machine learning, uh, more data-driven, interactive, and cross-function operating structure, bringing all of our skills in those areas within our company together. Our experience has demonstrated these tools allow us to work our existing assets harder unlock bottlenecks, and improve overall performance. Uh, early results are positive. We're pr prioritizing initiatives now to implement these on a larger scale. We have uh, begun to incorporate these initiatives, these projects, into our plans, and currently are uh, expecting to achieve 200 million pounds of annual production, incremental production, by 2022, uh, emphasizing, again, with very low capital. Each of these three initiatives are well advanced. They're all largely with our own control and provide a clear path for higher cash flows and value creation. Slide four, uh, we wanna, with all the talk about ESG, we have reiterated our commitment to all of our stakeholders. Uh, for us, this starts with a strong culture of safety at all levels of our organizations. That's the core of everything we do we operate in a dangerous industry with challenging physical environments, and we are really vigilant in developing tools to enhance safety performance with particular emphasis on fatality prevention and continuous improvement. We, we, we recognize and appreciate the performance of our global workforce who are integral to our success. We pay people fairly uh, in compensation and benefits, we provide career opportunities for people to grow in their, in their work and to support their families, and it's a big part of what we do. Uh, Freeport has a long history of partnering with communities where we operate uh, to ensure that, 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 that the work that we do uh, results in a positive impact on communities with regard to their health, welfare, and sustainability. And we continue to work to do this, and it's an important feature of what we do. Environmental protection programs are also key to us, and we are dedicate a significant uh, human and financial resources to addressing this. Our management programs are designed to mitigate impacts and closely monitor performance. Uh, 
We have a particular focus on water conservation. Uh, water is an issue in uh, uh, most mines that we have. It, uh, we are increasing sourcing of low carbon and renewable energy and have a track record of world-class remediation programs. We are taking a very active role in working within ICMM and key stakeholders on developing a new global standards for tailings management. Uh, we have enhanced our disclosures in this area so that all stakeholders have access to our tailings management activities and how we're dealing with this important area of our business. At Freeport, we are a leading and important producer of copper in the global industry. This is fundamental as the world transitions to a low carbon economy. Copper is a key driver in mitigating carbon emissions through the application of renewable energy technologies and is a net positive for the future economy. Uh, our commitment to sustainable and responsible mining is not new. This focus on, on, on communities, workers, and environment uh, is something that's been part of our culture for, for years. We recognize long ago this is essential to the long-standing sustainability of our industry and that we cannot be successful in generating value for shareholders unless we address these issues effectively, and we, we are committed to doing that. So there you have it, Richard C. Adkerson, CEO of Freeport McMorrin, on ESG and its importance to Freeport McMorrin. And now I want to turn to a part in the call where he discusses the company's Grassberg project, since it's sort of in the news here, and it's the first project they talk about at their uh, conference calls. So it's probably their most important. I mean, it's pretty massive. So now let's turn to Freeport's assessment of their Grassberg project. Big picture, fundamentals are strongly supported for the future, and our company is going to be a beneficiary of those strong fun fundamentals. When we look back on 2019, uh, with slowing global growth, uh, with the impact on uh, within China, with in the U.S., with uh, uh, with a weakened performance of the manufacturing sector, with the with, with the issues in Europe, it's striking that copper inventories are at the low levels that they are today. Uh, supply growth continues to be relatively low. Uh, markets. Uh, can be expected to be tight in the future, to become tight in the future. Copper will benefit under a scenario of even modest global growth and the added benefit of increasing use of copper to implement decarbonization trends is a feature that's going to be part of the long-term future of our, our, our industry. The current price today has improved from the 2019 lows but is still well below the incentive price needed to attract new supply. Slide six, uh, we address, uh, returning again to talking about our strategy and the impacts of that. As I've said often, we're laser focused on execution of this strategy, and that's what we're, we're all about. We've worked for years now in planning and developing, uh, uh, particularly at Grassburg, the uh, transition to the underground, and now we are executing, ex executing this very efficiently, as you can see by the numbers we reported today. We have a growing production and cash flow profile that's going to be very significant and will benefit our shareholders in years to come. We're well advanced on this underground transition. Results to date are on target. We're moving closer to 2021 when we start seeing the results of this uh, work that we've been doing over the past 15 plus years and then beyond that uh, how we will be able to uh, benefit from these investments and this work that we're doing. Uh, through the execution of the ramp up at Grassburg, the commissioning of the Lone Star Project, ongoing productivities in our America's operations, we expect to increase our copper and gold sales volumes by over 30 percent in 2021 compared with the just completed 2019 trough year. Uh, this will result in a 25% reduction in net unit cost, all, all things being equal, and more than double our EBITDA and cash flows at current commodity prices. I personally believe there's a potential for higher prices. 
with a growing production profile at a time when copper markets may be rising, our shareholders would have exposure to a positive long-term future, and Freeport will be particularly well situated uh, as it faces that future. Much of the capital investment we need to achieve this result has already been made, and achievement of our targets continue to reduce the risk that this plan had embedded in it. These are long live assets with a strong base for solid cash flows for the future. Slide seven, we show a summary comparing uh, historical and future results for Grassberg. The Grassberg district in Indonesia and Papua, where we have operated uh, since the early 1970s, is one of the world's largest and most valuable mining districts historically. Very large copper producer, but with a significant byproduct gold component, it is uh, one of the world's largest gold deposits. Uh, Grassberg has delivered cash flows over the last 30 years. We expect even more cash flow in the future, and it's truly, truly a remarkable asset. And uh, that's why we've had such a focus in maintaining and uh, developing our, our rights, working with the government of Indonesia to secure that. We've had a year now since we achieved the new structure, and it's working very effectively. A picture at the top left is a picture of the open pit in December. We have now completed mining from the surface, so the pit is no longer being mined, and it's quite a remarkable picture. Our Mark and his team did a great job in extending the life of the pit. Uh, we had to do this in a cautious way because of the future interaction of the block cave uh, mining underneath the pit, same ore body, just to be mined from the surface. And we had to make sure that we could uh, not expose our people uh, or the ore body to risk when this interaction, as this interaction begins to occur. We did this safely. Uh, we did were able to produce longer than we anticipated going into the in, in, in the beginning of the year. And just stepping back at this, I look at this picture. Uh, I have a picture in my office of the Grassberg pit every year since it started production, and it starts with a snapshot that I took in 1988 at the expiration site, and then to see this pit completed uh, since 1990. Uh, PTFI has produced 33 billion pounds of copper, 53 million ounces of gold from the Grassberg district, generated $100 billion in gross revenues. During this period of time, we moved 5 billion tons of material, both ore and waste, to pr process about 1.8 billion tons of ore. As I've said, we're now totally focused on establishing large-scale production from the underground. We're a leader, have been for years in block cave mining, decades of experience dating back to the early 1980s at PTFI. The Grassberg Block Cave, which represents about 50% of our underground reserves, is the same, very same ore body mined from the pit, but the block cave method will allow us to mine more profitably than continuing from our surface. In block cave, the ore collapses under gravity. There's no stripping or mine waste. Uh, as we show in, the, in, in our slide, we only have to mine one-third of the material that we had to mine historically and produce more copper in the underground era. Mining 1.8 billion tons of ore will be lower cost than mining 5.2 billion tons of ore. The gross revenues associated with these reserves to be produced over the next 20 years or so at $3 copper and $1,500 gold would approximate $150 billion. Uh, approximately 50% more than we produced over the last 30 years. Uh, developing the infrastructure for this scale of operations was our biggest challenge. We've essentially done that. We still have to add, we're, we're building some additional crushers, some additional power, we'll make some mill modifications, but the infrastructure has is, is been done. Now we're mining, and the mining will be in different phases of this is not just one mine or two mines, and it's of a scale that's consistent with what we've done in the past. We have met the biggest challenges of, of, of doing this, and now we're just doing what we've done in the past, essentially. 
Our reserves are reported only through 2041, which is the uh, termination date of our existing agreement with the government. The resource goes beyond that, and I would ex I expect that Freeport will continue to be involved beyond 2041. So with the block caving, we had this multi-year investment period that began in 2003. More than two-thirds of the underground development meters of our largest mines have been achieved. We invested in infrastructure, state-of-art, autonomous underground rail system. Most of the capital costs for the Grassburg Block Cave and Deep MLZ are behind us. Slide 8 shows the, 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 the underground milestones we achieved in 2019. Fourth quarter combined ore production from the Grassburg Block Cave and the Deep MLZ was higher than our forecast. It's averaging 26,000 tons per day for the quarter. We exited 2019 at a combined rate of 33,000 tons a day. Quarterly rates for Grassburg Block Cave included a 20-day outage for a plan, planned modification of our ore force system. We continue to add new draw bells, which is the, the, the structural features that allow us to extract the ore and mine it. Um, these are rock funnels used to collect the ore, which goes into loaders as the ore collapses from the, from, from, from the structure above it. We continue to add straw bells across the footprint. We will build scale for higher production. We added some new schematics and the reference information in the back of the presentation so you can review what we completed to date and what we plan to do in 2020. The fourth quarter, we added 34 new draw bells at the Grassburg Block Cave and Deep LMLZ compared to 14 in the first quarter of 2019. We expect to continue adding draw bells over 2020 to average 48 a quarter. Cave propagation for the Grassburg Block Cave and Deep LMLZ continues to go very well. The Grassburg Block Cave will be the largest contributor to copper and gold production following the ramp up. Reserves total about a billion pounds of high-grade copper and gold, a billion tons. Grassburg Block Cave will have a very large footprint, 80 acres at full rates, 180 acres over the life of the mine. The size of the ore body gives us the ability to produce simultaneously from five production blocks, five production blocks, not just a single mine, given a scale, flexibility, and assurance that we can have continuous productions. So in substance, we have multiple mines underground sharing the same infrastructure. We know the rock types from mining the same ore for the past 30 years through the extensive drilling that we've done. We're assessing ore about 300 meters below the pit bottom in the Grassburg Block Cave. As we continue undercutting and adding draw points, the cave expansion at the Grassburg Block Cave uh, will ramp up to 130,000 tons per day from these different cave fronts at the Grassburg Block Cave by 2023. The Deep MOZ is a different mineralization zone where we are using hydraulic fracking, which is being very effective in managing the seismicity issues we talked about previously. We're continuing undercutting the deep MLZ drawbell openings. We will have two active production blocks uh, in the near term there, uh, three in the longer term. In the early years, the grades in the deep MLZ are very high. Fourth quarter grades at deep MLZ were 1.7% copper and over 1.7 grams per ton of gold. At full rates, production from these two ore bodies is projected to average over 1.3 billion pounds of copper, 1.3 million ounces of gold, and that's sustainable uh, at very high levels over the long term. Earlier years, higher grades will enhance production. Average net unit cash costs are expected to average about 30 cents a pound in the first five years at full rates. It's really notable and rare for large-scale operations in our industry. The key for us now is to continue our undercutting to expand the footprint to open up new areas for drawbells and ore production. We expect to increase the number of drawbells in 2020 as work areas expand. Again, this is doing things at a scale that we've done in the past. 
the infrastructure is essentially in place, and now we're just executing mining like we've done. There's risk in mining projects, and there'll be pluses and minuses as we go forward, but we felt we've dealt, dealt with, now have dealt with a major structural risk that we face going into this, and we're real positive about our results to date and our ability to manage risk as we, as we go forward. Freeport CEO Richard C. Adkerson on uh, the copper market and the Grassberg mine, and you just hear the huge numbers uh, that are being thrown around here. Uh, and, and, you know, so this, this is uh, mining on the highest level. And so I think it makes a fascinating uh, place to sort of just sort of sit in and take a listen to what's going on there. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the Northern Miner. We look forward to hearing your comments. Feel free to leave a comment on the website or on our SoundCloud. And if you'd like, email your friends and also feel free to share it on social media and leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Until next week, take care.